Good evening. Welcome to the worship of our great God here at Redeemer OPC. Uh, we've got a couple announcements to get us started. First, uh, just a reminder that if you haven't been able to sign uh, the Thanksgiving cards, the, uh, the cards for our missionaries, uh, they're still out there on the high tops. Uh, that's a wonderful way to bless those that we uh, support financially, uh, but we also want to uh, care for them uh, relationally as well. And writing your name on that card uh, reminds them that there are people here who are praying for them, who uh, are concerned for their work in the gospel, and uh, are committed to them. Uh, so if you haven't signed one of those cards yet, we would, we would encourage you to do that. Uh, tonight, following the evening service, Sarah Heaton is here uh, from Forgotten, uh, Reach the Forgotten Ministry, uh, and that uh, presentation will, will be uh, yeah, following the evening service, so please be sure to stick around uh, for that. Uh, if you're in the high school group, stick around as well for, to listen to that. Uh, we'll, we'll get started after that. And then a final announcement, uh, that, that last reminder about Thanksgiving Eve service, that's this coming Wednesday at 6.30. Uh, we'd love to see you there. We'd love to see uh, your friends and your family and your neighbors as well. So uh, please uh, invite those around you. Uh, we would love uh, to give praise to our God together. Uh, so those are all my announcements. Let's take a moment now and prepare to worship our God. Our call to worship this evening comes from Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let's stand and sing praise to our great God. Sing to the Lord, sing his praise.
Let's go to our God now. O righteous and just God, Lord, we thank you that you have so worked all things to bring yourself the highest glory and honor and praise in the things that you have made. And Lord, that as a part of your plan, you have included your people, that you have, that you have worked salvation, that we would belong to you both now and forever. And so, Father, we pray that you would orient our hearts and our minds to Christ, our Savior, that we would be reminded of his perfect sacrifice and his perfect work on our behalf even now, that you have sent your spirit into your people, that we would be conformed to his image, that we would be filled with with knowledge of you and, and all the wonderful things that you have done, and that we would be filled with overflowing praise And so, Lord, please continue to lead us into deeper praise and worship of you. May we offer our hearts to you in prayer. And and Lord, please open our ears. Do not let us harden our hearts, but let let us with joy enter into that rest that we long for. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to praise with come praise and glorify.
Please be seated. We have the privilege this evening of praying for Exalta Health here in Grand Rapids. It's a Redeemer-supported healthcare mission. It's celebrated more than 25 years of service in our community. Its mission is to reflect the spirit and love of Christ by providing compassionate, accessible health care. Its faith-centered medical, vision, and dental care services reach an underserved community. Underserved, underprivileged, 48% of the patients are below the poverty line. Exalta helps patients navigate health care programs and insurance programs. Uh, it is organized and staffed by doctors, uh, nurses, clinicians, social workers, uh, pastors, and community leaders. In total, it averages over 100 active volunteers each month in providing its services on South Division in its main facilities. Um, its volunteers include students, working adults, as well as retirees. Um, so please join me in prayer tonight for Exalta Health and including especially its prayer requests. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray this evening for Exalta Health and especially for its prayer requests. We pray for Exalta's dear and uh, friends and patients who are fighting cancer. We pray for families afflicted with violence in the Burton Heights community in which they serve. Wrap them in your love, your peace, comfort, and assurance. Draw them closer to you. We pray for Exalta's patients receiving healing and comfort and assurance and your love as expressed through the volunteers and service providers. We pray for Exalta's focus on its community needs, for vulnerable patients um, left underserved by our health care system. We pray for Exalta's leadership. Keep them foremost with your cross, your sacrifice, your love in the forefront of their minds, providing accessible, quality health care to uninsured, underinsured, and refugees in our community. We pray for Exalta's volunteers as they give selflessly their time, their skills, their experience all in your service. May you work powerfully through them in bringing hope and healing. We pray for Exalta's staff, their encouragement, their perseverance, their strength, joy, and blessing, working in your spirit as they strive to meet the overwhelming needs in our community. We pray for Exalta's donors, stirring their hearts and calling them to continue providing for Exalta's daily and future operating and capital needs. And Lord, we pray especially for more brothers and sisters in Christ to be called to participate in Exalta's life-saving work through giving, volunteering, service, and in prayer. In each of these things, we pray in your name, Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, please stand and join in singing the praise song, Holy Spirit.
Please join me in prayer. Lord, we come to give you thanks and praise, and it is right and good to do this. Especially this week, Lord, we remember your sovereign care over all of creation, and we give you thanksgiving. We love your word, Lord, and we trust that you love to hear it also. And so we pray back to you, thanksgiving from your psalms. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Thank you, Lord, that we live in a world where you no longer physically dwell, but we have your Holy Spirit with us always. Thank you that we live in a world filled with hatred and violence, but we worship a God of love, justice, and peace. In a world consumed by despair, we embrace and proclaim a God who brings hope. Thank you, Lord, that in a world afraid of scarcity, we follow a God of abundance. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word that we receive tonight. We ask your blessing on Jonathan as he ministers to us through your word. And we thank you for the gift that you give to us so that we can share them for your kingdom and for others. Bless us as we give and as we receive. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.
Please open your Bibles tonight to the uh, book of Ephesians, chapter 4. We uh, come to our uh, 73rd through 75th questions in the uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism as we walk through that. Last week being the seventh commandment, you'll never guess what tonight is. The eighth commandment. Right in order. It's perfect. It's great. Now, when we think about all of the moral law that God has provided to us, each commandment is addressed on a heart level in the New Testament. Now, I've selected Ephesians 4 for how clearly the Apostle Paul describes the transformation that believers can experience in a life of true repentance. Now, we celebrated Reformation Week uh, uh, couple weeks ago and when we were thinking about you know that time of Martin Luther going and nailing the 95 theses there I wonder you know we talk about those frequently have you ever read all the 95 theses something you can do if you've never done that before if you, what you'll discover is the very first one says that all of life is repentance or the entire life of believers is one of repentance now I pray that we would learn tonight that God's generosity calls for imitation God's generosity calls for imitation. We will hear God's command against stealing, but we will also hear the importance of replacing stealing with generosity. Now, we will learn to repent, to replace, and lastly, to reproduce. Repent, replace, and reproduce. So if you would follow with me in your copy of God's Word, I'm only preaching on verse 28, but I'm going to read the whole context. We're going to do uh, Ephesians 4, 17 through 28. Hear now the Word of the living God. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, practicing every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in, your, in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Please pray with me. Most gracious God and Heavenly Father, you have given us this time set apart uh, by you, even before the foundation of the world, that you would teach us what you want us to learn tonight. We depend upon your spirit to lead us. 
We ask that you would give us insight and understanding into the Eighth Commandment and how it applies to our own hearts, recognizing that we break all of your commands every day in different ways in our own hearts. And you're the only one who can help us to see that and the areas where you are transforming us and molding us more and more in the image of Christ. And we're just praying uh, that you would accomplish your glorious work in us this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last Wednesday night, uh, Pastor Dan was invited to share his testimony at Boys Club, and uh, he talked uh, a little bit about things that were going on in his life, and then he also was asked to give some parting advice for, um, you know, the, the boys that were there. And he talked about the importance of having good and godly friends and being a good and godly friend. Now, I wish I was in Boys Club uh, when I was their age and could have heard that from a youth pastor, um, but I can tell you by example the other direction what happens when you're around the wrong people. So uh, I was in eighth grade and uh, was skate- skateboarding with one of my friends, and uh, we-, we were out there and we saw another kid from school that my friend knew, and he was also skateboarding, and so we thought we'd hang around a little bit together. He was kind of a troublemaker, but we thought, okay, we'll just do some skateboarding together. And then uh, he, he tried to show off, not his skateboarding skills, but his uh, skills in stealing. And so uh, he had done something to a dollar bill, and then we went into the store, and he, he went to the vending machine and uh, got out a soda and 50 cents, and then did it again. And when I realized what he was doing was stealing, I was like, I don't want any part of this. And I started walking away. I mean, at that point, my mom had given me uh, $10 in case we needed snacks or anything like that. I could have bought us a 12-pack if he really wanted soda. But for him, it wasn't about the drink, right? It was about the thrill of stealing. Now, I'd love to tell you I successfully walked away that day, but unfortunately, the manager stopped me before I could leave and said, told the three of us to sit down. The cops were on their way. And so it was the first and only time I've ever been in that much trouble to be riding in a police car to the police station. Now, I explained to the officer at the station, I had no idea what he was trying to do. I had no, wanted no part of this. I had 10 bucks in my pocket. I was happy to buy whatever we wanted to buy, but I was not consulted. Uh, and it was, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But man, was I scared, you know, watching my parents walk by that glass window. It was just like, oh, very, very scary. Um, but nonetheless, the officer understood my situation. I think he encouraged my parents to be somewhat lenient. Uh, and I got grounded for a day, and uh, in case I really did know, you know, what was going on, and certainly to teach me to not be around bad influences ever again. Well, maybe you have a friend with sticky fingers. I recommend you not spending time with that person. He is a bad influence. Now, sadly, there were people in the church who were thieves. And the Apostle Paul deals with them directly in our text tonight, Ephesians 4.28. He made a very clear and direct call, first of all, to repent. He says, let the thief no longer steal. Now, the New Testament gives titles to people if they have a life-dominating sin. Now, all of us have been deceptive at one time or another, but when you have the habit, you're called a liar. All of us have taken things that are not ours, but when you have the habit, you're called a thief. 
So when a sin becomes your identity, when your, your, your reputation is defined by a particular sin, then you know you're in trouble. Now, before we can understand how this command applies to our hearts tonight, we need to take a step back and define our terms. What does it mean to steal? I think we'd all agree to take something that somebody else owns. But that, by its definition, shows us that stealing assumes the concept of ownership. Okay, so we're going to start with going back to creation and thinking about ownership. Okay, think about creation, um, creation 1 1. <laughs> Genesis 1 1, talking about creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if God spoke the entire universe into existence by the word of his mouth, who owns the universe? Clearly, God does. But God is also very generous, and he makes us stewards or managers of his stuff. And this is why governing philosophies like communism are inherently unbiblical because one, they reject God, but two, they also deny private property. In communism, there is no private property. They claim the state owns everything. Now, there's a problem with that because God assumes private property in the command, you shall not steal. Abraham Kuyper is famous for saying, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. He owns it all, every bit of it. And so every act of taking something that God has not provided to us is an offense to him. And so we learn second about our own opposition to God, right? Why is it that we are going to go against him and offend him in that particular way? So what leads us to stand opposed to God Almighty? Well, what led Lucifer to become Satan? It was most certainly his pride. Now, pride is that tap root sin that leads to all the other sins that we commit. So how does pride uh, relate to stealing. Well, think about the, the, the thoughts that the thief is having. He, made, he makes a lot of proud assumptions in his situation, right? You don't deserve to have this valuable thing. I deserve to have this valuable thing, and so I'm going to take it from you. Stealing is inherently proud, but it's also inherently selfish. Now, I am assuming that I deserve something that God has not provided. I oppose God because he is not giving me what I want or what I think I deserve, and so I don't wait on the Lord. I determine for myself that I want it, and so I get it. Parents, do you ever observe that heart in your own children? You have told them, no, you cannot have a cookie before dinner. You might see disappointment in their eyes. You might even see anger. And then when your back is turned as you're cooking the meal, what happens? They take one anyway. Now, I would encourage you to not minimize it merely because it's a cookie. Look at the heart that is there. What is it saying? It's saying, I will have my way no matter what you say. 
And so we have to think about what we, we have an opportunity, right, to demonstrate what are those boundaries that we're not allowed to cross? What has God said about stealing? What should we, how should we deal with these things? There are certain boundaries for our protection that God has provided to us, and we have to reinforce what those are and how important they are. But perhaps the child doesn't take the cookie. Perhaps the child just waits patiently, waits on the Lord until after dinner and you get the opportunity to reward him or her with the cookie for patience and obedience. Either way, whether the child sins or the child waits on the Lord, either way provides us opportunity. First, we saw ownership, second, opposition, and third, opportunity. Paul Tripp says, every time a parent catches their child in sin, the grace of God is at work. Because God gives sinners over to their sin when it's judgment. When we're caught, that's God's grace at work showing us that there are standards, there are boundaries. And so we as parents are instruments in the hand of of God, instruments of his grace. And so there's sometimes you're going to reason with your child. You're going to explain to them, right, well, what does it feel like when somebody takes something away from you, right? Do you like that when that happens? No, well, that's right. Other people don't like it when you take things away from them either. So God is telling us we should not be stealing something uh, from another person. So sometimes you'll reason with them. There's other times that you've already reasoned with them a hundred other times, and you're just going to use the persuasive power of authority. And that's what the Apostle Paul does here. That's what God does in the Ten Commandments, right? The thief, let the thief no longer steal. It's just an imperative. Don't do it, right? Doesn't have a, I mean, there's an explanation after, but right, that's the imperative that we're given right there. And the Ten Commandments is just straight up, you shall not steal. So when we are consistent as parents enforcing these boundaries, we're helping our kids to understand there is a difference between good. There is a difference between evil. The more consistent we are, the more we're teaching them, right, what it is to know good from evil. As scripture says, by constant practice. Now, when we teach our children the difference between confession and repentance, they will learn to repent with greater sincerity and actually turn from the sin, not just say sorry. There'll be an actual change going on. So, for example, when I moved to Michigan, I learned about something called the Michigan left. You're driving along, and to go left, you have to go right. And you do a U-turn, and then you come back straight through the light to get in the direction that you're going. And so, Uh, What I realized was U-turns are very common in this area when you're trying to get places, particularly on the Beltline. But the U-turn serves as a good example to us of the definition of repentance, right? Repentance uh, is like a U-turn because I'm going my way. I'm going to go this direction because I want to do things my way. And I have to do a 180, a complete reversal, right, to turn back around to do things God's way. So... When we think about the uh, way that God is at work in us, we have to recognize the difference between a mere confession and what real repentance is. They are not the same thing. Confession is the acknowledgement that I've done something wrong. I might even ask the persons for forgiveness, but repentance, right, is returning the stolen item. It's paying the value of the thing that was taken if you cannot return it, right? Just think about Zacchaeus, 
right? He was convicted for his sin. And what did he say? I will pay, right? Not just eye for an eye. He was going to pay fourfold whatever he was took from the other people. He's going to give back to them the people that he defrauded. And so that is the demonstration of real repentance. It's not just, hey, sorry all about that, right? No, it's, it's a transformation of his life. And so when we think about repentance of that actual change, that's what's happening in our text this evening. How many times have we assumed that just because we apologized that that equates repentance? Well, repentance is an action. Confession is speaking and acknowledging, agreeing that I have sinned, but repentance is actually turning to Christ away from my sin. So it means not doing that sin anymore. Now, you may recall when Jesus met the woman at, uh, that was caught in adultery, as Pastor Jeff preached on in John chapter 8 just a number of weeks ago, right? Jesus concluded the conversation with her saying, go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, is that really Jesus' only solution, right? I don't think that's what he's saying, but let's just try it for a second, okay? On your mark, it's set, stop sinning. It hasn't, I tried this before in other sermons. It didn't work then either, right? There's just something wrong with just, just don't do it, right? There's got to be more to it. And I think Jesus certainly knows there's more to it. He lived, died, and rose again because he knows there's more to it than just stop it. There is a powerful thing at work in our hearts, and only God can bring that transformation. And so, We gain a full picture of repentance in our text tonight in Ephesians 4.28. And it could apply to any other sin. And I use it frequently when I'm talking about what repentance looks like. So let's uh, move to the second part. First, we learned what it is to repent. And second, what it means to replace. Paul says, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own Hands. Now, if we truly want to see lives transformed with true repentance, we have to replace the behavior, replace the sin with new obedience. It's not enough to simply stop stealing. We should instead labor so that we can actually provide for our needs. Now, we must fulfill the calling God has given to us, right? He's given every one of us skills and talents, opportunities and abilities for us to labor well for our neighbor and for his kingdom. Now, Scripture is very clear in 2 Thessalonians 3, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat, right? Work is what we were created for. Our God works, right? He created all things on, right, six days. He worked, and the seventh, he rested, Now, I think you know that this particular verse in 2 Thessalonians is a general application, right? We obviously know other places in Scripture where it talks about people who are unable to work and the covenant community comes around them, right? You might think of uh, those that are handicapped, those that are sick, children that are too young to work, older people that are not able to continue working as they had at one time. So these commands are focusing on most people, not thinking of the exceptions. But what does it mean to labor. It means using our resources, right, our skills, our energy to benefit another person, right? Sometimes that labor brings a paycheck, and sometimes you just volunteer 
to let that energy and those skills be applied to benefit another person for free. You just volunteer to help them. But notice the qualification of the type of labor that is shown in this verse. It has to be honest labor, honest work, because there is labor that exists that does not honor the Lord. Now, the Westminster Larger Catechism, as we confessed it this morning, uses the phrase unlawful callings, right? There are jobs out there that do not honor God. You cannot own or work at a porn shop and assume that it's a perfectly legitimate vocation. Now, it's legal in man's law, but that doesn't make it lawful according to God's law. And so what we have to recognize is there are certain things that God has called us to do and certain things obviously we're commanded not to do. So think about your own job or whatever you do uh, as you labor each day, maybe benefiting your children at home, maybe you're doing a particular job in a place of uh, a workplace. Is that particular job a labor that benefits other people? I'm assuming that almost all of you or you know everybody has something like that that they're doing during the day to build up and to help other people. Doesn't mean you necessarily get paid, but you're laboring to benefit others. So I hope you can see the powerful uh, image that this gives to us in this verse of the new obedience, right, of a thief. Just think about the person, right, who was just trying to live by taking from other people. And then he no longer steals, but becomes an asset to society, not a drain on society, but an asset laboring for the benefit of others. Now, I remember when I first started in ministry, Uh, There was a woman in Florida who was very industrious, and she successfully got uh, 12 churches to cover her rent every year, another 12 churches to cover her utilities, and other churches to cover her food. I mean, she's got a maid, right? Now, just think about that particular thought process. I'm, I'm thankful our deacons use access of West Michigan to kind of prevent, you know, systems like that and, and help out, you know, the working together of churches. But the amount of skill and organization that took, I mean, she could be a, she's a born saleswoman, right? I mean, to think through all of those things and to work through all those steps, I mean, she could be doing an incredible job somewhere in an honest labor as opposed to what she was doing and just trying to get churches to cover everything for her. Now, all that that skill was just, it was not that she didn't have the skill, it's that her heart was not pointed in the right direction. And so that's why we have to minister to people, not just because they need stuff, but because their hearts need to be pointed to Jesus, right? And so when we think about that, true repentance is a turning of our hearts and our actions of obedience. Now, what happens if we just apologize, but we don't replace our sinful behavior with faith and new obedience? Well, Jesus gives us an incredibly powerful image of what happens if we simply try to turn over a new leaf, or maybe just turn your life around, right? When it's based on our strength, we're never going to be successful. Jesus said in Luke 11, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil 
uh, then itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. The house in Jesus' example is our soul. And we can try to clean it up a bit, right? We sweep it up, we get it nice and tidy for a day or a week. You might even get a month. But in our own strength, in our own ability, our sin desires will come back sevenfold what they were if it's only a change based on our ability. If it's not wrought by Christ himself, it will never last. And so when we see true repentance, right, we see that it has to be, uh, the sin has to be replaced by faith and new obedience. It is the grace of Christ that is at work changing our hearts, saying, as Pastor Jeff was saying this morning, right, the goal can't be ours where I'm doing it my way. It has to be God's goal and it has to be done God's way. And so when we think about uh, all that God is at work doing in our hearts, how is he going to mold and shape us to replace the tendencies that we have in the area of stealing? Well, in our, this morning when we did our confession of faith, we learned that the, tenth, that the eighth commandment uh, is not just about uh, stealing, you know, taking exactly that, but it's also, as Pastor Dan emphasized, not returning something I borrowed, right? There's, we're guilty sometimes there. But it, it also said in that context failing to further the estate of my neighbor, right? That I have to be building up and helping my neighbor's estate, not just my own. And so if you think about business, right, right, we call it a cutthroat business, right? Are we trying to crush our opponents in the marketplace by slander and, you know, doing a bunch of fake bad reviews on their website? Like, is that what God's calling us to? No, He's calling us to genuine competition. Make a better product than the other person. Provide a better service than the other person. Competition sharpens one another, and then everybody gets to benefit from that. The slander and the terrible things that people will do to crush each other, that is not honoring to the Lord, right? Another very interesting application in our context here, uh, the Westminster Divine said, defrauding ourselves of the due use and comfort in the estate that the Lord provides, right? This is very applicable during this particular Thanksgiving week, right? How many people just can't wait for Black Friday that they spend almost all day Thanksgiving Day looking in catalogs and in other things, looking for the deals for all the things they don't have, rather than focusing on all the things that they do have. They rob themselves of the joyful time with their families because they're focused on the deals. They're robbing themselves of a time of celebrating the greatness of God's provision and his comfort of us. And so I would encourage you, right, spend that time counting your blessings, Teach your children, not just once a year, but on a regular basis to think back to how has God provided for us? What are the things that God is doing so that we can celebrate his provision so that we would be able to rein in those hearts of covetousness that will lead us to stealing? But God is not finished with us in this particular verse, right? We have so much more to learn about what it means to be mature in Christ's likeness. We don't merely need to repent of our sin and stop doing a particular sinful behavior, and we also don't merely need to replace it with faith in Christ and new obedience, but we also need to 
reproduce this same fruit in other people's lives. We have learned to repent and to replace, and now we learn to reproduce. So that, Paul says, this is the purpose clause of Ephesians 4.28, so that we have something to share with anyone in need. Do you see how beautiful that repentance is? Do you see the the Christ-likeness that comes out of this thief that was so self-centered is now benefiting a lot of other people? He's generous with what he has. He doesn't just provide for himself. He provides for others as well. That is what the grace of Christ does when it grabs a hold of a sinner and the person says, I'm going to be changed. I already talked about Zacchaeus, right? You can think of other examples in your own life of when God really grabs a hold of you and you're like, I can't keep doing that anymore. I have to step out into this new life that God has given me. I want to share it with every person that I can tell. That's how I was. When I was 19 and I came to Christ, I would tell every person about Jesus. I talked to the guy at the gas station, people on the airplane, every person I could ever meet. That's all I wanted to do is tell them what Jesus did for a sinner like me. Whatever he has done in your life, he wants you to share it with others. Now, if we think about this, I think King David is probably one of the best examples of this truth, right? His confession of his repentance comes in Psalm 51, and he said, I'm just going to read a portion. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. And we didn't read everything that David said, but he, he gives his confession. He promises his repentance. And he also says he's going to reproduce this fruit in other sinners' lives. The Apostle Paul speaks in the same way in Philippians chapter 2. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And if you know Ephesians 2, you know he goes on to talk about how Christ's obedience, right? His obedience of perfection and his willingness to go to the cross in the place of sinners like us took all the things we've ever done that were sinful and harmful and destructive, and he bore them on that cross. He wants that heart, that desire to walk like Jesus. He's calling us to true maturity. And so when we think about true gospel ministry, it is most certainly making and maturing disciples, but it also shows a multiplying of that fruit through the gospel and the lives of others. That is spiritual reproduction. Now, our call to advance Christ's kingdom will always push us outside of our comfort zones, right? Think about the ways that the Lord has redeemed your sin and your suffering in a way that has actually benefited other people. One of the most powerful verses for reproducing God's redeeming grace is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Again, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. How many repentant addicts have helped other addicts repent? How many widows and widowers have gone through that horrible dark valley and have come alongside of someone who has recently lost a spouse and are able to talk in a way that others of us that haven't experienced that, I mean, we can try to be helpful, we encourage, but you have a special opportunity to share the comfort with which you have been comforted. I mean, go on and on and on through all the lists of ways that God has redeemed both our sin and our suffering and how he would use you and the life of others who are freshly involved in that situation. Now, sometimes we struggle with how we help people, right? Sometimes we, we, maybe we might do too much, right? We might actually enable a person in their sin. But Paul said, share with anyone what? In need, right? So he actually qualifies it. They're actually in need. We have to know the biblical difference between a want and a need, How can we invest in people, right? Not stealing their dignity, but invest in them, giving them opportunities to work. One of the greatest biblical examples I can think of, right, in the Old Testament, right, you think particularly in the book of Ruth, right, is the gleaners, right? They were commanded by God to leave the corners of the crops, right, so that the gleaners could come and they could work and get what they needed for their families. Their their dignity was not stolen from them. And so we can pray for creative opportunities. We have, uh, you know, our own Susmanos gleaners, right, coming from that similar idea, drawing from those crops to benefit people around the world. Many here have volunteered in that particular ministry. But there's plenty of creative opportunities, ones that we haven't thought of yet, Ones that could come in your own workplace. Like, what would be the, you know, the equivalent of gleanings in your particular workplace? How do we take those and give people the opportunity for work? We shouldn't miss the opportunity when we're giving them that opportunity to also tell them why. We tell them about the Jesus that can change hearts, the Jesus that can transform our life, and he can transform theirs as well. I frequently use the illustration of the fact that we're all beggars and we have the gospel and so we found bread, but it goes well beyond that in these verses. It's not just that you have bread that you're willing to share, right? You're willing to share it, but you're also willing to train up others to share it, right? That is the multiplication of God's grace that is the reproducing power of the gospel in our lives, and this is how Christ's kingdom will advance until he comes. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you give us such a beautiful picture of repentance and of what Christ's likeness looks like coming out of the sin of stealing. The thief is no longer taking He's not just working to provide for his own needs, but he has become someone that looks like Jesus, giving of himself and sharing generously with others. Lord, what a beautiful picture 
of transformation that only comes from your gospel. Lord, help us to bear that fruit and to come alongside others to multiply that fruit in their lives as well so that you are glorified, we pray. Amen. Well, let us join our hearts together as we stand and respond to our God in song. After the conclusion of the doxology, we're going to invite Sarah Heaton to come up and share about Reach the Forgotten Ministry, a ministry we've been partnering with for a very long time, and we're very glad to hear an update on that. So we'll just have you be seated after the doxology. Hear now the blessing of our great God. Be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Amen.
Um, thank you. You may be seated. Sarah, welcome. Yep. Well, thank you so much for having me here. Um, we have a video that I'd love to just go ahead and start and play. And after we played the video, then I'll just get up and share for a few minutes after that and then get you guys out of here. Thank you. My name is Amanda Hahn. I am an associate chaplain at Macosta County Jail in Big Rapids, Michigan. The first time I came in, all of my notions were preconceived notions from Hollywood of what a jail would be like and what people who broke the law were like. And so I didn't really know what to expect. In fact, that fear was what kept me from becoming a volunteer in the first place for quite a long time. I was kind of concerned that I would meet a bunch of hardened women. But as I sat down at the table, I found exactly the opposite. And uh, I spent a lot of time just listening. roof over my head, I had clothes on my body, and I had food in my mouth. Did I have love and affection? No, not really, because my mom was never home. I started hanging around with the wrong people and um, started drinking. Then my stepdad beat me up, and I became a major alcoholic at the age of 12 years old. I'm an only child, and about 13, 14 years old, my father was shot, and so that's when I kind of took a left turn. I ended up going to prison for 10 years, 2008 to 2018. Well, I was an athletic kid. I played sports, football, basketball, baseball. Early in life, I hurt my shoulder in a football scrimmage, and I got hooked on pain pills and wound up hooked on heroin. Altogether, I got about 12 years invested behind bars. From the time that I was 17, uh, I had become a methamphetamine addict. So that was about a 19-year addiction. And uh, the very last time when I was sentenced, I was actually looking at 10 years. I've never seen God, but I have seen his hands and feet at work. He met me in my hardest time. I had a very low opinion of myself, and um, a jail chaplain, he helped me to see that. God did not see me that way. And my lowest point, he was there. You come to jail. You are there because you've committed a crime. You're locked in your cell most of the day. And you have a lot of time to think. And so you sit there and you wonder. And you have a lot of despair and hopelessness and there's so much fear of the unknown. And there's not really that safe place for somebody to be able to talk and, and to experience that there may be another option for their life. The reason why we exist is to help inmates discover a new life in Christ 
and go back to their homes, go back to their families, go back to the community uh, as new people. Our goal is really to meet them where they're at. And we do that through chaplains, we do that through volunteers. Some of it's in person, some of it's just over a piece of paper. Stephanie is an awesome lady. Just being able to talk with her and cry with her and pray with her, it's inspirational for myself, right? I learned from them just as much as they learned from me. I've grown a lot since I've met her and it, it makes me feel important that I actually matter and that um, my growth is important to somebody else. Many times we forget that the jails in each one of these counties are part of the community. What we do inside the jail, I think, affects the community as a whole on the outside of the jail. What people don't understand a lot of times is that only 10% of the jail population goes to prison. The other 90% is coming out, so they're our neighbors. People are the value, and our chaplains know that, and they celebrate that every time they walk into a jail and they begin a conversation with an inmate. They pray with an inmate. They offer a book to an inmate. They just offer themselves and their time to an inmate. So 2008, I go to the Genesee County Jail, and uh, I'm just broken. You know, I'm, I'm just tired at this point. I'm like, I got to do something different. I can't keep repeating this cycle. Reese came around and they said, anybody wants to go to church service, you know, put your towel out the window. So I put my towel out the window and I went to church service that day. But I don't remember the message. I just remember at the end when he was done, he said, if anybody wants to give their life to Christ, say this prayer, repeat after me. And I said that prayer. And uh, I was broken. I was done. Somebody that day, you know, was willing to volunteer and come into the county jail. So that's all I want to do. I want to put that vest on and be, you know, a beacon for somebody. This is where Christ would be. He would be here among these people, um, among his people. You know, a lot of people that come here and they leave changed, they don't come back here. Sometimes we don't see the fruit, and I'm looking forward to that day when I will see the fruit. When one thing starts to transform, it can't help but have that effect on the things that follow. And that's why there's so much importance in seeing a church get involved, or recovery groups get involved, or individuals to come alongside them who are those positive influences. The Reach the Forgotten has played a, a, a paramount role in my life. They most definitely um, were there when I wavered. You know, the ladies that come here, they've really helped me. There are some amazing ladies. I found God in my life again, where I really thought he abandoned me. And we need to build a, a society that as many times as they're willing to try, we're willing to catch them. So when I look at an inmate that is in here and they're broken, do they deserve to be forgotten about? No, they're still a mother, they're still a father, they're still a child, a brother, a sister. Most of them are screaming out inside for help, but don't know how to get it. 
If I could have it all, there literally would be zero inmates that weren't touched by our ministry. We strive to give people hope, to know that this isn't it, and that life is not easy, but if you're willing to do the work, and you're willing to lay it all down at the foot of the cross, that tomorrow is a new day. We tend to write people off, but God never writes them off. I remind these guys and gals that their name in God's book is Beloved. So you can see in that video, that's um, all the counties that we're in across the state of Michigan. Um, so it's 33 counties right now. And, um, you know, it was interesting as I was listening to your message and um, I wrote a couple things down and I thought, um, where you talked about parenting and like reputation uh, being defined by a sin or rep there's reputation defined by a sin or a habit, right? And so you have stealing or you're a thief, right? And, and you even had mentioned parents, right? If your kid does something wrong, do you have that conversation right away or do you just let it keep going on? And the thing is, there's a common theme you hear in that video is the background. What's the background? They all had so much struggles growing up. Did they have that parent there to teach them that? Maybe they did, but the vast majority did not. Um, it doesn't excuse things, right? But you need to be told, you need to, to have a chance to have a fresh start. And so you think about it is, um, and anyone knows me knows I say this all the time, I have yet to meet a single person in the jail or outside of the jail that says, when I grow up, it, this says as a child, right? There's some kids sitting in here. Um, could you imagine if your child said to you, when I grow up, I really want to be a prostitute, or I, I want to be a thief, or I want to be a liar, or a judger, or an addict, right? It just doesn't happen, right? But life happens, and circumstances happen, and sin gets in, and the enemy gets in, and there's all these things that contribute to why we have a thousand people sitting in the jail down the street from here, 10-minute, 15-minute drive, you know? And so the thing is, though, is that in order for things to change, somebody has to tell them. And there has to be someone to show them, okay, th this doesn't have to define you. This does not have to be your purpose. This doesn't have to be what your life is for the rest of your time here, right? And so um, the other one I, that stuck with me was the catch a child in sin. That's actually God's grace. Many, 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 many times people in the jail will say, I was drowning and I prayed, God save me. And they woke up in jail. Right? Sometimes we need the, the, the harder time, that time to sit away in that timeout period. And so um, I want to thank you all as a church body for the way that you have supported us. It's always called Forgotten Man Ministries. They changed the name last year to reach the Forgotten Jail Ministry. But you guys have been faithful supporters of us for years. So thank you. Well done. Well done. Um, you're, you're part of those stories that were played on there. You're part of the changes that have been, that have been occurring as we all join in the body of Christ together. So, so a few things um, with the jail ministry and ways 
that um, to get involved if you're interested is we hold worship services there a couple times a month. And I know Redeemer has a service. Um, Wendy and Myron um, serve there. And then um, Pete and Karen. And so if, I'll be available at the end of the service if anybody wants to talk. Um, but also, if you have questions in the meantime, you're welcome to reach out to me. But you can also reach out to one of them. Um, but there's worship services. We have ways to write letters to be a pen pal. Um, there's a way you can get involved in teaching a class during the week or sitting down and talking to somebody one-on-one, depending on how God has called you. And, um, and we also have financial support and we have prayer support. Um, my desire in this um, season really is that we, we're in a rebuilding stage since COVID. Everything sh- shifted when the jail was closed for a couple years to volunteers. And so we're really a rebuilding right now. And so we have to start that with the foundation of prayer. And so as um, if you're not called to go into the jail, are you called to pray? Right? There's, there's so many ways to get connected. And so we send out prayer requests once a week that um, go out and it's called a watchman's wall based on like the book of Nehemiah. And so there's, there's many ways to get involved. Um, if God talks on your heart for that, um, it's not a place for everybody, but it is for a place for some. And so if God is, um, touch you in that, come talk to me. Um, I'd love to sit down with you, just have a chat out there, whatever that looks like. But um, again, I want to thank you all as a church for your support and for um, the way that also that you um, support Richard Fuller. Um, he's such a valuable member of our team. And so, um, and I know this is home church. So thank you again for um, all that you do and um, would love to talk with you after the service. Thanks. So I just wanted to pray, pray for Sarah, but also just to mention, I had the opportunity for the first time to go into the jail this last summer. Oh, okay. And uh, it was such a great experience just you know as the one lady said like i was expecting some really hard individuals and i met some incredibly humble brothers in christ and it was just a a, one guy i met he had never been done anything related to christianity before this is the first time he had ever held a bible in his hand and he had a biblical name and i got to show him there's two different people with that name in the bible i got to show him the direction for this one and the direction for that one and which one leads to jesus and he had you know, was very interested in that. So these opportunities are great. So thank you for your ministry. And it was just a privilege to be able to step on the area where you serve all the time. So let me, let me pray for you. Father, we're grateful for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for Sarah. Thank you for the whole uh, Reach the Forgotten ministry and for all those that are at work uh, to offer uh, the wonderful good news of Jesus, Lord, that of all the people to share the light of the gospel, Lord, it's, it's your people. And uh, as you have called us, to have these opportunities. Thank you for those that step up to this ministry and would be used by you, uh, knowing that we don't have all the answers, that we don't have it all together ourselves, but we know the one that does, and we can point others to you. And we just ask that you would uh, continue rebuilding that ministry after losing so many volunteers through COVID, and that you would accomplish that in your timing and in your way, and all for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Have a blessed week.